Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TGU from VLGA Connect on uh, what's a pretty warm day in uh, Melbourne and surrounds. So I've gone a bit summery today, Tony Rannick, with the short sleeves, but I see you're in the office, so I guess even though it's casual Friday, the jack. I oh, see so you've got the, the 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 collar undone though, and yeah, yeah oh, getting a bit uh, relaxed. Well, I, I'd love to say I've got the pair of uh, shorts on, but I haven't. I've, I've got got a few meetings today, but it has been warm. Um, but I have to get used to it. I'm in Bangkok next week, so ah, okay, <laughs> yes. Uh, so humidity will be uh, part of the course, I would say. There, what sort of a week have you had, Tony? Yeah, busy. Been about um, when I, I was up in Sydney uh, on Wednesday visiting the Hunt, Hunt New South Wales offices, and um, and then yesterday I was. Um, uh, on a tour at, at, at Northern Hospital of the new mental health facility. I sit on um, the board of the Northern Health Foundation, but that's a hospital that services much of um, the northern suburbs of Melbourne and uh, just rapidly expanding and um, really awesome to see their state-of-the-art state of um, mental health facilities that will open for patients, I think, in about May. That's going to be, uh, I have had a chance to have a look at that facility under development, and it is going to be uh, very special indeed. All right, Tony, there's there's a bit of news uh, to get through this week for those who like to keep up to date with what's happening around the sector. Um, the Inspectorate driving a lot of the news this week with, uh, with uh, their report of a finding of serious misconduct against the former Mayor of Mildura Rural City Council, Councillor Jason Modica, on... Um, or in relation, I should say, to uh, to conflict of interest. And the inspector uh, says that the decision shows the importance of declaring conflicts of interest for integrity and accountability in local government. What's your takeaway from this? Yeah, look, I, I think it is um, a really, you know, timely reminder um, for council laws and, and for council staff, for that matter, um, of the importance of, um, A, being aware of potential conflicts of interest B, then taking action to declare that conflict and C, of course, removing yourself from um, position to be involved in a, in a decision where, where you have a conflict. And in this case, the conflict was through an association with a, a family member, um, Councillor Modica's sister, I believe, who had a, an interest in the outcome of a planning application. Yes, and uh, look, the decision is there for people to read if they want to get into the the nuts and bolts of it. The the wash up is a two month suspension is a pretty uh, serious outcome, uh, an apology to be made to the council, and an ineligibility to chair a delegated committee until July. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Tony, and you might not um, be able to comment on this. I noticed in this case the chief municipal inspector made the application for the finding. Normally, a panel report of this type comes to the council and gets tabled and that's usually the first we hear, hear of it uh, that's not what's happened in this case yeah yeah I, I, I did did see that and and to be honest I'm not quite certain as to why that's occurred and that may well be the reasoning there that um because it was initiated by the mm. chief Municipal in, in, in inspector I'm not sure but um yeah really um interesting um case um planning was about um it's about the an application for the use of land for rural 
industry, I think approving some um, sort of, uh, I think it's called a stockyard panelling business. But the conflict arose because Councillor Modica's sister and his um, brother-in-law owned land, I think, opposite the subject property. And in fact, they operated a similar business also without a planning permit. So this was a retrospective application for approval. So what the Council of Conduct panel found, or, or um, um, so the finding was that, um, that Councillor Modica's sister stood to either gain or, or, or suffer depending on the outcome of that planning application. So, yes. you know, if it had been approved, it might be a precedent for a retrospective approval of an application um, at her property for her business that she was operating, which is, of course, very similar. Um, or, or on the other hand, if it had been approved, it might um, um, mean that there was, a you know, another business that was a competitor that got to continue to operate. So really interesting interesting analysis in the decision of um of how these um you know the affected person regime works for conflict of interest yeah how we need to be aware of um you know people we're associated with having interests standing to gain or lose in relation to a council decision and um and yeah really good good read for people to reflect on that a cautionary tale, but I guess if there's a silver lining from these things having to happen, it is that they can be instructive to help others understand where the boundaries are and where the obligations uh, rest, particularly in relation to conflict of interest, which I know challenges a lot of people because it is can be a complex area. Yeah, and, and we should say, look, I should say that uh, Councillor Monica, um, you know, has shown considerable remorse, ultimately taken, you know, full responsibility um, um, you know, acknowledge that he, he, his error in terms of a failure to observe the local government act provisions there. Mm. So, um, so um, ultimately, um, um, it's just a, a lesson both for that council of that council and, and the whole sector. So more out of the inspectorate this week, and this is in the positive column now. They've gone back to have a look at Yarry Ambiak Shire Council, which was the subject of a investigation report in 2019, which raised a whole range of issues around use of assets and resources, much of it relating to the, the depot at Hopeton that that, uh, that council had. Um, uh, flash forward, uh, what are we now, four years or three when the review was done last year and a good tick of approval has coming uh out for uh, Yarry Ambiak Shire as a result of that review, Tony. Yeah, it seems that the um, the inspectorate were, were um, out there at Yarry Ambiak late last year, interviewing community um, council staff, um, etc., and um, noticed a real, real positive change in in culture at the organisation. Staff are much more invested in the organisation, and certainly there is um, a, a culture where poor behaviour is able to be called out without fear of um, retribution. So that's a, you know, I think that that's, um, you know, a, such a positive move. It's, uh, you know, the current CEO, uh, Tammy Smith, and the former uh, CEO, Jesse Holmes, and, and indeed all the councillors and, and council officers out there are to be congratulated for, for what seems to be a, a really substantial turnaround and, Certainly only the community of, of Yarri Ambiak is only going to benefit from that. 
Well done uh, to all the team at Yarri Ambiak, who I know are regular listeners to VLGA Connect and to the local government news roundup. So it's good to have some positive news there. Uh, talking of positive news, this one caught my eye, and I've done a special edition of the roundup on this uh, this issue, Tony, and that is uh, the efforts at Moynshire in the southwest of the state to deal with a key worker housing crisis. We heard last year that they were making these cabins available, a building and making them available at a couple of caravan parks. It's been a, a, a great success, according to the CEO there, Brett Davis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I saw that uh, LinkedIn post um, from Brett, and um, it does seem that council, having been proactive, going into the market to provide um, worker accommodation at two locations in Moyne Shire has been a great success. Um, really encouraging results so far. Understand that um, there's a caravan park in um, Karoit that's been fully booked since last year. And um, there's a facility in Mortlake that also is showing some really strong um, bookings. And I gather that there's about 10 businesses um, across a range of sectors in, in Moynshire, um, agriculture, earth moving. Um, Hospitality uh, very much sort of tourism yeah. focused. Yep. Absolutely. Well. Forestry, et cetera, who are mm -hmm. taking advantage of, um, of this um, availability of short-term accommodation, particularly for, for those seasonal peaks in, um, in, in demand for um, staff. And um, it's been a great result. Probably um, one of those um, examples that um, other rural and regional councils um, might well be looking to, um, because this isn't a, a problem that's confined to mine. I do know um, I, I've done some work assisting uh, the rural city of Ararat. Right. Uh, Dr. Tim Harrison, the CEO mm -hmm. there, um, who are looking to do something similar or are well down the path of doing um, a joint venture with a private owner of land in relation to key worker housing. So it's definitely a problem that the sector is, um, you know, dealing with and um, you know, plaudits Des Moines. What a great outcome. Yes, and, and Brett does make the point in the interview that I've done with him that there's a regional approach to this as well with the neighbouring councils, but also there's been a lot of interest from uh, well outside the area, from other parts of Australia, from uh, from uh, uh, advocacy groups, you know, some of those council groupings uh, wanting to know more about what they've done. So leading the way out of the southwest corner of the state, which is great to see. Now, uh, Mornington Peninsula Shire is having a by-election, as we know, and just a quick note that the field is now um, out. There's six candidates in terms of uh, ballot paper order. They are Stefan Borzecki, Michael Stevens, Rob Clark, Ben Lewis, Susie Beveridge, and Kate Roper. And that voting, of course, will be by post, which closes on the 17th of March. So we wish all those candidates very well in vying for that vacant seat on Mornington Peninsula Shire Council. Yeah, they, they keep coming, don't they, these um, countbacks and, and dealing with vacant seats. Um, I did see uh, with the resignation of Alan Tudge, I think it's the seat of Aston, that, that there's a there's certainly speculation that, that um, one of the councillors at the City of Melbourne, Rashina Campbell, will, will be pre-selected right. for that position, which could also ultimately lead to um, uh, a new council law coming into yes. Melbourne City Council. So we'll watch that one as well. Uh, I've been keeping a list of campaigns and by-elections on the uh, the Local Government News Roundup website. I'm, I'm not sure yet 
how that tracks compared to recent uh, uh, council terms. But I think the Victorian state elections certainly triggered more than we've seen uh, in recent history, at least, in terms of uh, uh, council laws getting elected to state parliament, Tony. Would that be your sense of it? I'd agree with that, Chris. Um, I don't recollect this this many um, by-elections and countbacks. And but as as we said at the time, um, um, we we celebrate that uh, you know um, we've got people now going into Spring Street, um, sitting in the Parliament who who have you know direct experience of the challenges of local government. And um, you know it's a you know it's a challenge now for us to to maintain those connections with them and make yeah. sure you know, sympathetic to um, our needs. Absolutely. Uh, the ABC has published an interesting story this week. Uh, Ge- Greater Geelong uh, is in the spotlight again. We've talked, of course, recently about the appointment of monitors there over concerns about the concerns that the inspector has about the CEO recruitment process. Um, there's now talk about um, potential nepotism and recruitment practices and some some numbers that have been published in the ABC story, which you can look for yourself. Um, they've termed it as soft corruption, which I think is an interesting term. I hadn't come across that uh, before. Um, I I don't want to get too much into the detail. There's a lot of reported and alleged and what have you in this one, Tony, but this generally this issue of nepotism in recruitment practices is not a new one, uh, particularly from uh, from the ombudsman's perspective. Absolutely. It it did. um, When I read uh, the allegations, um, it did did, um, turn my mind back to um, some of the um, some of the reporting or, or um, the the um, media release from Deborah Glass, the Victorian Ombudsman, back in uh, I think 2020, following um, an investigation into allegations of nepotism in um, appointments by I think the uh, then director and then CEO of staff. And um, what Deborah Glass said in her release was that um, you know nepotism um the the outcome of nepotism is, is is damage to a whole a whole raft of people firstly you know the person appointed to the position has this struggle to actually prove to their to their peers and colleagues that they're they're actually deserving in their own right um there's a you know a loss of morale often in the organization um and, and a reputational loss for the organisation, but also from the public's perspective, there's a you know often a, a loss of trust or public faith in the integrity of um, of, of, um, of, of of governance and, and gov- government at, at a public authority. So I think that those um, words from um, the Victorian Ombudsman remain you know just as relevant today to yeah. um, councils in the public sector as um, as ever. So in terms of process here, Tony, the inspectorate's already involved at Greater Geelong and, and investigating, um, I quote, issues of transparency and integrity. In this article, people are calling for the government to investigate. The ombudsman has been involved in this space in the past. Is this a case of just the inspectorate's already aware, sit back and uh, if there's issues, they'll bring them to light? Or do you see the ombudsman getting involved or some other process coming in over the top? Uh, you, you know, uh, understandably, we're, we're not, um, there haven't been public announcements about, you know, what the inspectorate's um, actually doing, uh, but, but, you know, what those monitors will be doing perhaps 
Um, there may be some ongoing investigations in there that we're not aware of. Um, the the uh, what what else I found was interesting is that that um, there was some commentary in the media articles about um, the local government act position and and the sense that with the change from the eighty nine act to the twenty twenty act that um, councils had more sort of freedom in terms of these senior officer appointments. And that certainly is true. The new act is less prescriptive in that regard. But um, just, I think, also a reminder for, um, you know, CEOs, um, people involved in, in recruitment of senior officers that Section 48 of the 2020 Act still requires um, a CEO to have a recruitment policy and the recruitment policy must, um, you know, support transparency, um, must ensure, you know, um, recruitments are based on merit. Um, and that, besides having regard mm. to all those sort of um, equity and diversity elements. So um, it's not a free-for-all um, under the 2020 Act. We still um, have some... Um, obligations in, in, in that regard in terms of the integrity of the process and public faith in the process and 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 as it should be. The, the report calls into question some of the changes that have been made to the council's recruitment policy. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it says that the ABC wasn't able to get a copy of that policy. I, I would have thought those policies are public documents, but perhaps they're not. One would think that would be normally a, a public document and certainly be something that would be subject to FOI as well. Yeah. But no, typically um, available on um, council's website, like it's procurement policy, yes. um, another re required policy, for example. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll uh, keep an eye on that one. As I say, uh, we don't want to get into too much of the detail because we don't know it, um, but perhaps more will come out. I just want to quickly touch on the South Australian situation that we talked about last week, Tony, where 45 councillors, I think the number's settled now, 45 and three mayors have lost office. The South Australian Premier, Peter Malinowskis, made a statement this week confirming that that had happened, that he'd taken a personal interest by meeting with the Electoral Commissioner. Uh, he, he did fire a pretty firm shot uh, across the bow here by saying that not only had the elected members received advice on 12 occasions, that they'd received registered mail correspondence reminding them of the obligation to return um, that uh, that submission within 30 days of the election. So it does appear there's no backing down, there's no room to move here unless the tribunal uh, hears appeals and finds extenuating circumstances. There's a few councils that are going to have to bear the cost of new elections. I think your read of the situation is spot on, Chris. I, I, I do think that the right is very much on the wall subject to that um, tribunal process. Um, pretty scathing comments from um, the South Australia Premier in terms of the, um, the, the failure to take note of the, the warnings. And what he did say, Tony, was that he's looking at the legislation with a view to making sure this doesn't happen again. What that means, I guess, remains to be seen. Yeah, and perhaps it means that, you know, we, you can't take office till you've done this and, you know, you can't mm. attend the first council meeting and there needs to be some mm. um, um, sort of evidentiary aspect to, to a proof of that before you mm. do. Um, but that, yeah, let, let's watch that one because it'll be uh, potentially an example for um, Victoria and other states to follow. Absolutely.
Uh, now, just before we get to your pick of the week, uh, some late breaking news. Uh, well, actually, it came out a couple of days ago, but I missed it. Uh, the acting CEO at Queenscliff has been appointed. Uh, we've reported earlier that um, the the CEO there is uh, on leave for health reasons, and we wish uh, Martin all the best with uh, recovery there. And well known to the sector is Kelvin Spiller. He's had a few interim or acting CEO roles in recent years, and he stepped in to hold the reins for a little while at Queenscliff. So all the best to Kelvin and the team at the borough. We think pretty safe hands in Kelvin's villa um, at, uh, at at Queenscliff. But um, um, yeah, uh, well done to Kelvin and um, still contributing after all these years. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, your pick of the week, uh, Tony, has got it's got King, Kim Jong-un in the title. Tell me why we're talking about that on TGU. Oh, Chris, you know, it's it's always hard to go past uh, an article where um, a sitting council is quoted as um, inviting Hollywood movie producers to um, come and uh, have a chat to him about maybe um, movie rights to a saga that he's involved in. So I'm talking here about councillor Stephen Hughes out at Frankston, um, He's, of course, currently serving a, a one-month suspension from council that follows um, in light of a 2021 Facebook post that um, he, where he photoshopped um, the North Korean flag by um, putting uh, some dolphins on that flag. And, of course, dolphins are a very key part of the Frankston logo. And I gather it was a, you know, a satirical-type comment um, uh, where he also wrote on the Facebook post that about Council's new social media policy, saying that um, would make Kim Jong-un not in approval. Well, um, he's at it again. He's, he's, he's gone out again. So um, a, a more recent Facebook post I saw um, reported on this week where he tells his Facebook followers that um, that North Korean dictator Kim Jong uh, has helped restore democracy in Frankston and um, what he's referring to is late last year councillors um, removed a particular clause from the councillor code of conduct that um, dealt with councillors comments in, in media um, and, um, and, and, and said the councillors should not criticise or actively seek to undermine any um, decision or position already taken by council and um, that was certain part of the um, code of conduct and social media policy that Councillor Hughes had objected to. That's been modified and uh, yeah, Councillor Hughes has come out and um, paid credit to Kim Jong-un. Uh, bizarre is a word that comes to mind, uh, Tony. Um, don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but is this a repeat of behaviour that's already delivered a suspension and therefore dangerously um, taking people down a path of what the next level of misconduct might? You know where I'm going, don't you? Yeah, look, I do. Um, look, um, look I'm, I'm certainly aware that this current suspension is, um, I think, um, follows an earlier suspension um, and the current one relates to a failure to remove a post or leaving the post thereafter, you know, an earlier decision that it was problematic. So, um, you know, I'd probably be I'd probably be moving well away from comments about North Korea if I was um, the councillor. I understand the satire, and and I also understand the the challenge 
um, for councillors in relation to um, the, the need, you know, for the mayor to be the key spokesperson and there not being that, um, that uh, you know, lack of um, clarity or mul multiple messages out in the public about where the council might stand on an issue, but also think that there's merit in allowing, and I don't think that Frankston policy ever attempted not attempted to prevent this, allowing councillors to make public comments about um, decisions of the majority of council that they don't agree with. Um, so, um, so, so, look, I, I've skirted around your question, haven't I? I haven't really answered it directly. Understandably, no, understandably. No. But let me throw another one at you. Um, a councillor who is on suspension, mm. are they still a councillor during the period of the suspension and therefore does their conduct still have to be in line with codes of conduct, et cetera, anything a councillor would be expected to abide by? Yeah, that's another, another good question. You've got a lot of tough ones here today. <laughs> but, um, well, well, of course, when, um, when one is suspended from council, one's prevented from attending council meetings and... Um, and uh, I, I believe also the, the council allowance would be suspended through that period as well. Um, um, I, I don't so I don't believe that um, that um, typically those decisions would have the power to prevent commentary from you know a member of the public um, who yeah. happens to be a councillor. Um, so that's not a typical thing in Australia um, to be injuncted, if you like, from, from making public comment. It's rarely done and it's only done where there's seen to be some real risk to um, the integrity of a, a court process. So probably probably not, but um, look, I'm, I should say that I haven't, um, you know, I don't, you know, know all the all the particular details and I haven't read back over the no. recent decision of... Um, of the miss of the council conduct panel. No, you understand why I'm asking the question, of course, <laughs> though, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, do. All right, let's go to uh, my pick of the week before we wrap things up. Uh, lots of things caught my eye this week, but uh, this one in particular, Tony, out of California in the USA. There's been a bit of city manager news of late, and in this particular case, this is the Los Banos City Council, which I think is in the southern part of California. Um, the council there this week has just voted by four votes to one to reinstate its city manager, which it fired last year. The vote to fire the city manager was carried by three councillors last year, two of whom are no longer on the council. Uh, this week, the council has decided to reinstate Mr. Pinheiro, his name is Josh Pinheiro, uh, with a pay rise tighter job security and a 1.8 million dollar payment okay wow. his salary is about 225,000 US dollars from from what i recall under the new deal so 1.8 million dollars which the media is reporting as a move to head off a uh, likely lawsuit uh, in relation to his termination that's pretty extraordinary isn't it i it might head off the lawsuit. I'm not sure it's going to head off the rage of the um the, the rate payers and both. It hasn't. It hasn't. There's a bit of commentary on that too. Um, so does that mean the toilet? What does? I'm trying to remember my Spanish. 
<laughs> Los Banos, do you, you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I hope this isn't. I, I, I hope I haven't fallen for a fake story here. No, I don't believe so. The Central Valley Journalism Collaborative has reported this, and I'll pop a link in the show notes if you'd like to know more. But I thought that was a pretty extraordinary turn of events, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and as I say, I think the um, the the voters might be coming to get some of those councillors. Um, it's I seem um, an extraordinary expenditure of public money. All right. Uh, that's, I think, all we have for this week. Uh, Tony, what sort of a week have you got ahead of you? Well, I actually, I won't, I won't be with your your viewers. Um, perhaps some. Um, oh, you're going to Bangkok, of course. I'm going to Bangkok next week, but actually doing some work. I'm at a interlaw. Well, I'm at an interlaw conference, uh, an international law conference there. Um, so, but but I'm um, flying out very early on on Monday morning. But um, that'll be interesting. Um, I'm I'm not sure if I want to take the jacket with the Bangkok humidity, but um, mm. let's know how I go. I think we should have a new podcast series, The Tough Life of Tony Rannick uh, on the road. Thank you, Tony. Have a great week. Great safe travels. And uh, so we'll see you back in a couple of weeks, by the sounds of it, here Absolutely. on TGU. Tony Rannick from Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. Hunt and Hunt Lawyers, of course, are our terrific sponsors here at TGU from VLGA Connect. And we're ever grateful to the team for that support. As we are ever grateful to you for continuing to watch and listen to our program, we hope to have you back with us very soon. Until next time, bye for now.